Well, good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you guys. And uh, as John mentioned, this is our, our last Sunday of 2019 in this particular room. Next week, we'll be downstairs for our brunch church, and then uh, we'll be gathering for Christmas Eve. That is a Tuesday. I know it was very clear the way he uh, articulated that, <laughs> but it, it, uh, it will be a Tuesday, Christmas Eve, the 24th at 4 and then the following Sunday is our community Sunday, so we'll be meeting in groups uh, around the area. So if you're not in one already, just pay attention to the realm or talk to one of us that are in a group, and you can come and join us on that Sunday for brunch and for uh, conversation and prayer, and, and uh, always a special time. Uh, we are looking at the last uh, three chapters of the book of Revelation through the month of December Uh, As you know, if you've been here already, uh, we're kind of resuming from where we were in September and October, looking at uh, the seven churches in the the book of Revelation. And we're doing this at Advent, again, um, because Advent is all about anticipating and longing for the king and his kingdom. And so uh, we've been looking at the end of our story because that's the place where we really get uh, an imagination for uh, what it looks like for this king and his kingdom to come in their fullness. And so we're, we're in a sense, then looking at the last Christmas, the last uh, uh, coming of Jesus, the last uh, Emmanuel, and what happens to the world and then what happens to us in light of what he's going to do when he comes. And, uh, and again, the reason that we've been looking at this is because uh, when you know the end of your story, it changes everything about the way that you live it. So, so many of us are confused about what it looks like at the end of our story. Even Christians, even churches are confused about what will happen at, when, when Jesus returns again. And that confusion ends up uh, causing us to live a, con- a sort of confused life. Uh, and so we need to see the end of our story clearly because then it enables us to live with clarity now. And, and particularly at the Christmas season, uh, we need Jesus to do that work. So, so today we're going to be looking at what this new world does to us when it comes. Okay, So uh, we're going to be in Revelation 21 verses 9 to 23. So it's a, a bit of a longer section, but you'll see why it holds together. So again, if you're going to Read along with us in the books that we have under the seats. You just start at the end and flip back a couple pages, but it'll be up here too. Starting in verse 9, Revelation 21 says this, One of the seven angels who had had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and with twelve angels at the gates. And the gates were written, and on the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. The city was laid out like a square, as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia. That's about 1,500 miles, by the way, uh, in length. And as wide and as high as it is long. The angel measured the wall using human measurement and it was 144 cubits thick. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. The foundations of the city were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire. The third, I think that's called agate. I could be wrong. Uh, Thank you. The the fourth 
the four, I'm not a precious jewel uh, expert. So uh, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth ruby, the seventh chrys- chrysolite. Thank you. The eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth turquoise, the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve. Uh, the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each, made, each gate made of a single pearl. The great street of the city was of gold, the pure, as pure as transparent glass. Verse 22, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb were its, are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light and the lamp, and, and the Lamb is its lamp. That's the most descriptive section of what God is bringing that we will ever see, right? I mean, uh, and I was thinking about it this week, and it's like, you know, we're we're at Christmas time right now. I don't know, you've probably been out shopping. Maybe you've been to like a Christmas village. Maybe I know some people went into Philly to go to the Christmas village there uh, in the center of the city. This is like in some ways, like the most amazing Christmas village you've ever been to, right? Uh, It's like everything glitters, everything gleams, it's all shiny and new, everything's twinkling, and it's like this overwhelming uh, like imagination to the senses. You think, like, what is that even like, you know, to walk through uh, the streets of a city like that? You know, it's... um, it's amazing. But, so I was thinking about this as sort of like uh, this kind of like overwhelming Christmas village as I was kind of out shopping this week. And, um, you know, I was in different stores and they're all decorated with gold and with lights. And I don't know about you, but I thought that this would be like a helpful imagery. But then I went out shopping and I was like, I don't know if it's helpful to me. Uh, because it, shopping doesn't actually enable me to see this kind of new city as good news. Because I don't know about you, but when I, I don't like Christmas shopping. <laughs> uh, in, in fact, when, when I'm out Christmas shopping, and this happens for, for a lot of Christmas activities for me, the thing that I feel more than anything else is not joy and peace and love, it's anxiety. And I found myself feeling anxious. And, and, you know, it doesn't help that when you're out Christmas shopping, you see these, like, pictures of perfect families. Like, I was in Target, and there's, like, this dad and his, you know, his wife and their kids, and they're all sitting around the fire. And they've all got, like, the sweaters that happen to be hanging on that rack right there, you know. And they look so happy and so content and so, you know, all together. And, 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 and it, as a dad and as a husband, it just makes you feel like, well... If I don't buy that sweater, <laughs> am I going to have that experience? And I, I know that's a lie. But there's still, even though I can identify it as a lie, I still feel, particularly this time of year, a certain sort of anxiety that rises up in my heart. And I feel like there is this voice, this low hum in the back of my mind that's, that, that, that's essentially saying, you aren't enough. You won't be enough. You won't measure up. Like as a dad, as a husband, as a pastor, others are, others are getting this season right more than you are. And um, I was really, it's funny because I, so I was driving home after feeling this way. And I started to get like really down on myself. I was really disappointed because I realized that I've been feeling this way about Christmas for at least 10 years. And every year it seems to be the same thing. And like, do you ever, you ever have like that thing that gets triggered like in certain situations? Like it, maybe it's an anxiety, maybe it's shame, maybe it's, uh, doubt, whatever it might be, but like it, it gets triggered by the same circumstances again and again and again. And you go, 
I, I, like, I should be able to get over this by now. I, I shouldn't be allowing this to, to kind of reign in my heart anymore. I should have figured it out. And I, so I found myself wishing on this car ride home that I was better than I really am. That I had my act together. That I was less prone to stress and anxiety. That I'd be more patient, more present, more full of joy than I am. Can you relate to that sentiment? It's easy to think, especially this time of year, I should have my act together by now. Brothers and sisters, there's good news for us this morning. There is good news to those of us who feel like we can never get our act together, like we'll never measure up or be enough. That God is showing us a day when, in the light of His presence, we will be revealed as the stunning beauty He always dreamed we would be. That in Christ, God is fulfilling His plan to heal us in every way, and that work begins now. In fact, the new you is breaking into the old. And Jesus is doing this work all around us so we can receive his healing work today. That's our good news. Um, think about this for a second. What do, you, what do you... The last time that you looked at yourself in the mirror, what did you see? And if you, you don't have to answer this, but like... Just being honest with yourself. You, you know, all of us, like we do those quick takes in the mirror and we're kind of on to our day. But like the last time you like really stopped and peered into the mirror, like what was going on for you? For so many of us, um, we immediately go to sort of like the imperfections, Right? Um, maybe there are gray hairs that weren't there before and you're tempted to pluck them out, but now you're like, ooh, I don't know, will I have any hair left anymore? <laughs> or <laughs> or there, there are wrinkles where they, they weren't there before. You're, you're, you, all you see are the blemishes and you, you're, you try to do everything that you can to cover those things up before you present yourself to the world. Or you see someone who's beautiful, but you know that it's fading, and so you're not sure how long it'll last. Many of us, I think, if we really looked into the mirror deep enough, long enough, we, if we're being honest enough with ourselves, we would see more of our failures than our successes. In fact, many of us, I think, avoid doing this kind of deep look in a mirror because we're afraid of what we'll see. One of the things I realized when I was thinking about this this week is that I often tend to blame what's wrong about me on the circumstances, especially at Christmas. So like I was telling you about like walking through the store and like feeling anxiety because of like our culture's pressure to like tell us we should be something that we're not. And I realized even as I was starting to think about this story and how I was going to present it to you, I was going to blame the culture rather than actually looking at my own heart. That, I, that, yeah, you know, our culture sells us lies every day, but that doesn't mean that we have to believe them. See, we often avoid looking at ourselves, really looking at ourselves because we realize that mirrors have this tendency to tell the truth about us and we don't know if we can handle the truth. To quote a famous movie. Now, so, and remember what we said. Um, I said a couple weeks ago that one of the things that God does in this new creation is that he brings things to light, right? That's what judgment is all about. He shows off what their true condition is. And, and this city, if nothing else, is a city that's full of light. Right? I mean, that's, that's why I included verses 23, 22 and 23, because um, 
Jesus is the lamp which shines light in every crack and crevice. There's no dark place in this city. So much so that the sun and moon aren't even needed anymore because there's no, there's no darkness, there's no hiding. Everything is shown for what it is and what's shown is a city of immense beauty. Now here's the thing that we could sometimes do when we think about this city. It would be easy for us to, to, to think about our experience of looking at ourselves in the mirror and compare that with this city that's shining and transparent as glass and go, I don't know if I could live there. Like, am I too broken? Am I too ugly to walk those streets? And you need to know something about this city because we've all gotten it wrong. That, that what John is doing is not, he's, he's actually not giving us a description of a city in the way that we think of cities. Like, so, you guys have seen the skyline of Philadelphia, right? Many of you work there and you travel there all the time. And so, when, you, when I say the word Philadelphia and what it's like, oftentimes, you know, the first thing that you think of are the, are the buildings and the bridges and the streets and the, you know... You, you, you think of the skyline and what it looks like. And it's easy for us to do that same game when it comes to this city. But here's, here's what you need to know. Is that this city, this new Jerusalem, is, is not a representation of physical realities. It is a mirror. And the thing that it's reflecting is us. It's actually showing us a picture of what you and I really look like. You don't believe me? How does the whole thing start out? Verse 9. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you what? The bride. The wife of the Lamb. And then immediately he busts into this whole description of streets and gates and, and foundations and jewels. And you go, what is going on here? Now, I don't know about you, but every time I've read Revelation 21, oh, and I've read it a bunch, I always thought that John was talking about architecture. <laughs> you know? The, the buildings, the roads, the walls, the gates. But here's what I'm discovering. He's not talking about architecture. He's talking about Jesus' bride. So here's the question. Who is Jesus' bride? The church. Who is the church? We are the church. See, we do that same game where we think it's a building. With a certain kind of architecture. And we, we, we do this swap where we think... What it means to be the bride is to be the church, and the church is a building. It's not. It's people. And so what is this new city? It's us. See, John is using metaphorical language not to talk about the beauty of the place that we'll live in one day. He's talking about the beauty of who we will be one day. It's, you know, it's like, we're not going to be walking around in the New Jerusalem going, wow, look at that! You know, like, look at that, that, that building! Look at those gates! Look at those pearls! Look at, you know, look at these streets! Because those things are people. So here's, here's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be walking around, looking at one another, going, holy cow, you are a sapphire. You, you are a pearl. You are incredibly beautiful. And, not, and I'm not just talking about skin deep. I, I'm saying that besides Jesus and God Himself dwelling in the midst of this city, you and I will be the most radiant part of that world. That's amazing. So, um, and again, I think we miss the point of passages like this. I... 
I was, uh, I, we took the kids to Luminature this year. How many of you have heard of that? It's like the billboards and everything, they've been everywhere. So the, the Philadelphia Zoo this year decided to do kind of a holiday-themed um, experience. And uh, so, so they construct all these lights and light shows and there's like talking Christmas trees and Christmas trees made out of flamingos and uh, just lights and, and shininess everywhere. And it's, it's pretty striking because you're walking through in the dark and you're seeing all of these like visual displays, you know. And so the, the kids really liked it. It was a good time. Um, but here's one thing that was weird to me. There's not one real animal in the entire show. You know? Like, I mean, it's, it's all representations of animals, but it could have just as easily taken place in a park as opposed to the zoo. And it was weird to me because I'm walking through the zoo. We have membership to the zoo. I'm used to seeing animals there. And we're walking through the animals and like the reptile house is closed and the big cat exhibits closed. Like all these exhibits where the real animals are, are closed, but you're looking at shining kind of representations of the animals. And I'm like, it it just got weirder and weirder to me because by the end I'm like, like we're around real animals, but I, you know, I haven't seen one. As, so we got to the very end, and um, there's this big field full of uh, penguins, like or representations of penguins with lights on them, and they're all kind of syncretized to the music, and they're flashing different colors, and it was pretty amazing to look at. But I realized right behind us, there was a pen, and I looked, I, I turned around as my kids were kind of running all over the place, and there was this one little emu that was sort of pacing back and forth in his pen. And, it, you know, he's dark and he's probably dirty. And, but I, I couldn't get that little emu out of my head. <laughs> Cause that, so we're going back to the car and we're driving home. And I, I just kept thinking to myself, like, what if that little dirty small emu was the most marvelous, wonderful thing I had seen that night? Because that was the thing that God made in his creativity that points the way to what he's like. See, in the same way, do you know, the most stunningly beautiful thing that you will encounter in this new world is not some kind of pyrotechnic light show where God's like shooting off, you know, these like fireworks out of his fingers and you're like, wow, you know? The most amazing thing, the most stunningly beautiful thing to you because it's the most stunningly beautiful thing to Jesus, the thing that he's most excited to show off is his bride, is us. The thing that he's most, the thing that he's longing to, to do more than anything else when he comes again is to unveil the beauty of what he's done in his people. And that's our good news, that there is a day coming when in the light of his presence we will be revealed as the, as the stunning beauty that he dreamed we would be. I just want you to take a second and realize that you, that you are what he finds most beautiful. You are the thing that is most radiant to Him. Not what you do for Him. You are. And, and listen, like, you can kind of do this thing where you're like, I don't know, like, if, if that's actually going to be the truth. You know, like, things look pretty bleak. They look pretty broken. I'm st- like, you know, I was thinking about myself. Like, it's been ten years and I'm still struggling with the same anxiety. Like, how... How, how will he find me beautiful? And it's, it's important for us to, to see how deep this transformation is going to be for all of us. Because John is doing something very, very intentional in the way that he's writing this uh, scene for us. 
he's actually writing a counter-narrative to another story in Scripture. He's writing an alternative viewpoint, and it's a story that you are already familiar with. Okay, so are you ready, class? Let's see if you can guess it. So can you think of another story in God's redemptive history where a holy man goes up a high mountain to receive a vision of for how God will dwell with his people. Hold on. <laughs> Don't ruin it for everybody. And below that mountain, God's people are constructing something out of gold and jewels. All right, what's the story? Yeah, Moses on Mount Sinai. It's the same picture, isn't it? That goes up a mountain. God's giving a vision for how he's going to live with his people. Down below, the people are actively doing something. They're constructing something out of things that that, that gleam. Gold and jewelry. So, okay, let's, let's play classroom for a second. You, you can dialogue with this one. How, then, is this story different from that story? What are, the, what are the main differences that you see between what Moses, what the story of Moses tells us and what the story that John's experiencing tells us? Yeah. A lot more massive, yeah. So explain that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's at least fifteen hundred miles by fifteen hundred miles. John intentionally uses that measurement because that's approximately the size of the Roman Empire. So what is John saying? I mean, who is who is the people of God's like primary enemy at this point? The, the insurmountable foe. It's Rome. And John's going, this city is going to counter that one in every way. This is the city that will stand. That one is not. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the city that's being put together is a city that's being constructed by God's by God's hand, not by human hands. And what's the result of that? Does it look different than the calf? Yeah, it's lasting. Yeah, so so in the in the Sinai story, you have God giving instructions to Moses on the kinds of lives that they need to live in order for God to dwell among them. One of the things that God reveals to Moses on that mountain are instructions for the tabernacle. Like, here's, here's how you guys are going to build a, a place where I can actually start to dwell with you because it's, it has to be a place of perfection. And it's so ironic because God is telling, <laughs> through Moses is telling them, here's how I'm going to live with you. And what are the people doing at the same time? They're already at work building something. <laughs> But it's not according to God's instructions. It's, it, they're using their resources to build something that distorts the image of God. That, that, that's pulling away from God. That's showing a, a, a lie about what God is like. And, and Aaron and the rest are going, here's the God who, who brought you out of Egypt. Which is like laughable, right? But then in John's vision, you, ha- you, have, got, you have John being shown... What God is up to in building a new society, and it's it's still made out of the same stuff. It's gold and it's jewels and it's amazing. But God is the one that's building it. God is at the very center of it. I mean, the whole reason you know the whole reason that um, that the city is the same dimensions, lengthwise, widthwise, and oh by the way, heightwise. You know, like how is it fifteen hundred miles? high like isn't that in space you know but again john is being very intentional do you do you know what also had the exact same dimensions width, height and and depth there's the holy of holies in the temple of jerusalem 
That's why there's no temples, because the city itself is now the dwelling place of God. You don't need a temple anymore. And John's going, even the city demonstrates the perfection and the beauty of God, and that's on display in the lives of his people. You see the difference? It's it's amazing. And that so I mean it shows you how different this experience will be to what we're used to. Sinai is such a picture of how we think about a relationship with God. Isn't it? That God is somehow distant and removed from our circumstances that he needs to give instructions through a mediator that we may or may not trust. And that God has left us with resources and we often use those resources to do distorted things to God's image rather than actually worship him. I mean, when I think about like the way that I move through the Christmas season, I think that I, I, ha- I, I find myself having more in common with Mount Sinai this, than this new mountain that John's describing. That this is like a picture of my experience. Like God gives me a family. He gives me a home. He gives me time. He, he, you know, he gives me a, 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 a church community. And what do I do with those things? I distort the gift and end up kind of worshiping at the, at the altar of our, of our culture and saying I need to like be a certain kind of person and have a certain kind of experience and buy the certain kind of thing. And what am I doing? I'm building a golden calf out of my resources. But this this picture that John's painting means that there is a Christmas coming when God himself will dwell in and among us. And when that happens, every area of your life and every area of mine where darkness still reigns will be transformed forever. And for me, this is really good news because it, it then I can know that there's a Christmas coming where I will no longer respond to this season with anxiety and stress, but with wonder and thanksgiving and worship and peace. And I found myself thinking about these things as I, I got up this mor- or yesterday morning and that same sort of like anxious tension started to arise in me yesterday and I found myself like almost speaking to it and saying, there is a day coming when you will not rule me anymore. There is a day coming when you will be put to death once and for all. I don't know about you, but I long for a time when every part of my heart that seems stuck in the same sin where I haven't seen transformation or fruit or the fruit of the Spirit, the parts of my life where I'm most cynical will in an instant be healed forever. Don't you want that? It's coming. Just what 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 is it about you that you most wish was transformed? What is that character trait or that sin or that that experience where you go, oh, it's just been like Ten years, and I just haven't felt the needle move on it. Where are you desperate for the fruit of the Spirit to show up in your life? Where you, you go, when, when I'm around my family, I don't want to respond with anger. I want to respond with joy and peace. As I parent my kids, I don't, I don't want to fly off the handle every single time. But I, I, I want to be a person of kindness and goodness and gentleness towards them so that they would be able to see Jesus through me and in me. I, I, I don't have self-control over this area of my life and I would love to just be able to get some handles so that I could put that aspect of me to death. Family, if Jesus is enthroned and we are told that he is, then you will be healed. In fact, verses 10 and 11 say that, that when John was showed the, this city, what he saw was this Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. And it shone with the glory of God and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel like jasper, 
clear as crystal. That, that, that there's a day coming when you will shine under the loving affection of Jesus as He reveals you as His bride. And you got to know, like, again, that this isn't a work that you do. If you try to be the one to clean up your life for Jesus, you will end up making a golden calf every time. You know? There's been so many areas of my life where I'm like, yeah, I want to see transformation. And and by the way, I'm going to be the one to do it. And you know what ends up happening? Golden calf. I'm like, shoot, I was trying to, like, I was trying to build something in my life for God, and it, again, it turned out like I didn't expect again. And the main difference is that in this new world, the, the, the primary transformation happens when it comes from heaven, when it comes from God's authority, when it comes as a result of God's work. So you don't, you don't have to make yourself beautiful for Jesus. He already finds you beautiful. And He wants to increase that beauty beyond what you can handle right now, to be honest. I love the way Philippians uh, 1, 6 puts it. It says, being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. There's good news, family. To those of us who feel like we can never get our act together, God is showing us a day when in the light of His presence we will be the stunning beauty He dreamed we would be. In Christ, God is fulfilling His plan to heal us in every way. Now, if that weren't enough, it, I think it actually gets better. One of the things that I was, it was sort of dawning on me this week as I was looking at this is, you know, you, you, sometimes you can wrestle with passages like this and go, okay, like, that's going to happen in the future, I get it, like, but what about now? Like, what about today? Is there, is there hope for today? Is there transformation today? And I think the answer is yes. And here's why, and it's unexpected. Because here's the amazing thing about this new Jerusalem, is that somehow this picture of this new Jerusalem is not just who we will be one day, it's actually who we are today. Revelation does this weird, trippy thing where it's like not just future, but it's also like present reality. But we've always read it as something is just primarily about the future. But we can't read it that way. It's actually unhelpful to read it that way. That when John's talking about this city, he's talking about not just a future reality, he's talking about a present reality. What do I mean? Well, look, look at some of these passages that are so familiar to us, but we miss it. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, I mean, this new Jerusalem where you were like, in every way the person that God dreams that you're going to be, where you're fully healed and beautiful, like this is already your permanent address. You already have a, a residence there. Alright, it gets stranger. Alright? That's like just level one of strange town. We're dropping to level two, okay? Col- Colossians three. Another very familiar passage. Paul goes even further and he says This, for you died and your life is now what? Hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Here's how weird it gets. In some mysterious way that we have no idea how to understand, this morning, as you sit here, You are both here and there at the same time. (laughs) You are both simultaneously broken and in need of healing and healed and fully restored as a resident of the New Jerusalem. Now, 
I've had some, you know, people, you, it's, you have a lot of questions, right? When, when, when you think about Christianity and the gospel, I mean, people throw questions all the time at you, like, where does evil and suffering come from? What about those people in, you know, Asia who've never heard the gospel? You know, like all the, like the, the major existential questions. You know, all of those questions are easy compared to this one. They're like, like, no problem. How is it that we reside both here on earth and in heaven in this new Jerusalem at the, because our life is hidden with him there as well as here? Do you have an answer to that? Because I don't. <laughs> that's, that's one I don't have an answer for. And here, here's the thing. I don't think Paul has an answer for it. Because he doesn't even explain it. He just like drops this bomb. He's like, okay, on to the next. You know? You're like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> How is that possible? Now, but here's what he does say. He says, since then you've been raised with Christ. Since you, you reside both here and with God who is reigning and ruling right now, he's risen from the dead, he's been given a throne, like Jesus is alive and he's a king today. Because you're in both places at once, set your heart on things there where he's seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Now, I've always thought that this meant like Think good thoughts. That's, that was always the way I read it. It was like, you know, don't worry, be happy. Like, just think heavenly things, you know? It'll all get better. I don't think that's actually what Paul's trying to say. But he, here's what he's saying. He's saying, set your mind not on what you can see, but what on, on what's true. Not on what's going to take place in the distant future, but on what God has made real for you today. Because the reality is that Jesus has all authority right now. So Matthew 28 says, and that He is present and at work in unexpected ways, and He's bringing His kingdom, His new kingdom, His new creation into the old, so, so that the healing work can begin now. And friends, if that's who you already are, and he's bringing his kingdom into this world, like that's that whole like, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why are we to pray that? Because this is true. And and if that's true, then then here's a couple implications. A couple implications that I've been realizing this week as I've thought about the fact that Jesus is bringing his kingdom into my world now. The first one is that if, if the new is breaking into the old today, then I don't need to turn away from the unhealed parts of my life. I, I, that anxiety that I feel, I don't need to pretend it's not there, and I don't need to despair that it is. I don't need to hide it in shame from God as though it's something dirty that He can't see. I get to bring it to Him and ask for His light to shine on it so that I could be healed of it now. See, realizing as I'm walking through this Christmas season again and feeling those same feelings start to arise in me, that those things aren't just evidence of my unhealed hearts. It's not reason for me to despair again, but it's actually, in some mysterious way, Jesus is trying to get my attention so that I would set my heart on him and what he's trying to do and how he's trying to sh- kind of show me the bad news that I'm believing so that he can bring the good news of his kingdom into my life. I Last night, um, Mandy and I took the kids over to the Garden State Discovery Museum. They were doing a, a event over there for um, families in foster care. And uh, it was this great event. Like, we, we had no expectations. We just thought we would go and, like, play around for a little bit. 
but they had all these different things. And one of the things that they had was a, um, like a Santa's village where you go like into this thing and you kind of sit down. You're on the Polar Express. And um, they give you instructions and then they lead you like into uh, this other room where Santa is and you can take pictures. And, um, and to be honest, like the way that I manage my anxiety at Christmas usually is by overworking. And so I didn't want to go at all. Like, I, I just thought, like, Mandy can handle this, you know. Like, I'll stay home and I'll, like, make sure the sermon is, like, airtight, you know. And uh, <laughs> and so I was planning on missing out. And, and, and I'm sensing, like, no, if God's doing a work in my heart, then the, the thing that I can do that, that, that is the most worshipful right now, that is the most uh, faith-filled decision I can make is actually to choose not to manage my stress through my work and go and play with my children. Like, so the, leaving my house and going with them was an act of worship. And so we, we go there, and, and, and it was a great time. So we, we were about to go into the Santa thing, and the younger two were like, yeah, Santa, like, let's go, let's do it. But Caleb, you know, he's getting to the, the age where, like, there's, you know, he's dividing the world into the cool and the uncool. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? And, um, and this definitely fell into the category of like, oh, that might not be cool. So, so he's like, yeah, I don't think I'm going to go. Like, I'm going to do big kid stuff. And um, so, we, so I take the younger two in and we go in. And Santa's in there and, and, you know, people are taking pictures. But like, the reason that they had done this in a separate room is because the entire room, wall to wall, was filled with toys. And every child that walks through that door could pick out anything that they want in that entire room. And I was like, get out. This is crazy. So I'm like getting my phone out. I'm like, Mandy, Caleb's got to get in here. (laughs) Like he's missing out. If he doesn't come in here, like, and I, she's like, what's going on in there? I'm like, just come. You know, like, I'm, the, I'm not going to spoil it. Just get him in here. And so, so he comes and he's like, you know, he's doing the same thing of like looking around the room. And there's like full like Lego sets and robots and like, I mean, everything under the sun, anything a kid could hope for is there. And you get to pick something out of this, this incredible experience. And then you move from there and it, like you, you go and have cookies and hot chocolate and all that. And then from there they go to another area and each of them got to pick out a book. And I just think like God was like you are you often move through life like Caleb does. <laughs> Where you try to gauge on the on the front end like what I you know the, the like what you should be doing rather than just moving into what I'm inviting you to. And it's not that you're, you know, you're not dividing the world into like what's cool and what's uncool. You divide the world into what you can manage and what's unmanageable for you. And you remain in the area of what you think you can manage. And when you do that, anxiety comes. And it's a warning light that I'm giving you to tell you, get your hands off the wheel and walk into my kingdom and see what kind of presence I have for you there. There is good news. To those of us that feel like we can never get our act together, God is showing us a day when in the light of his presence... We will be the stunning beauty He dreamed we would be. In Christ, God is fulfilling His plan to heal us in every way. And that work begins now. The new you is breaking into the old. Jesus is doing this all around you. So you can receive His healing work today. How is God asking you to respond this morning? How do you need to receive the healing work of Jesus in your life? Is there something physical? Is it uh, a way that you perceive your your body or your 
your life? Are you, is there shame for some kind of area in your heart where you still know it needs to be transformed, but you're kind of holding it back from God's presence and activity? Where have you been avoiding Him coming in, his, in the fullness of His kingdom? Where, is, where do you need to invite Jesus' presence into your life? Where does the new need to break into the old for you today? I'm going to pray. I'm going to give you a second to ask Him that if it's not already apparent to you. And to see what He says. Father, we thank You. <clears throat> First of all, that the most beautiful thing in all creation are the people that are made in your image. We get glimpses of that in other people's lives, but many of us think that we are somehow excluded from that beauty. And you want us to see again just how incredible it is to 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 be known and to be loved by you. God, we, we know that we don't look like how you intended us to be, but that will not stop you from completing the work that you began. So God, we ask that you would reveal to us, even in this moment, where you want to break in and begin that work today. Would you reveal it to us so that as we bring it to you, as we meet you in reality, we will see that not only is healing possible, but it's inevitable. God, would you do the work? Every time we try to do it, it comes out messed up and distorted. We need this new us to come down to us from heaven. And we need to receive it again today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.